passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Clap, 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 clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands Podcast. Hosted by Elliot Shore Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. What is going on, everybody? This is the Clap Your Hands Podcast. Brought to you by 94WIP, brought to you by Odyssey Sports, Elliot Shore Parks, Kyle Newbeck. And today, you know, I think we've done so many feel-good pods in a while that this was just absolutely in- inevitable. So today's pod is brought to <laughs> you by injuries. Like, what a night that was. Um, I kind of blame myself because I said they would go 2-0 against the Bulls, and you cautioned me uh, that it's really hard to do. And look, the last two games, not great. Uh, definitely not the positive optimistic feels that I felt before. So Kyle, I'm, uh, I'm excited to talk to you about last night, but I'm also hoping you can talk, talk, uh, talk me off the ledge a little bit with everything that transpired with Joel Embiid and uh, James Harden. Yeah. So one, I have told you these game, these two game sets against yeah. teams in the regular season are basically impossible to win. Now there is some good news on that front. I believe the Celtics have won against the Toronto Raptors before the end of the year. So if you want to pencil in a loss for them, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a uh, that's helpful in the race for the number two seed. Uh, So let's just we'll get right to it. Right into it. Yeah, the injury stuff. So James Harden, uh, if anybody has not been paying attention this week, uh, he came down a little funny during the first half of Monday's game against the Bulls. Stayed down on the floor for a while. Walks a little gingerly back to the huddle. Ends up playing the rest of the game, but in the locker room afterward, moving pretty slowly, did mm. not look, you know, at his best. It wasn't like he's not in a boot or on crutches or anything crazy like that, but certainly not moving as, you know, James might move after a game. Get some work done on him by uh, Sixers head athletic trainer, Kevin Johnson. And then he sort of disappears not to be seen again as we're talking to other people. Uh, what I was told on James, and he did miss last night's game with what they called Achilles soreness, is that there have been no alarms sounded on James, but that they are managing him pretty closely in the short term because they want to make sure that he's in the best possible spot for the playoff run. So as of right now, I would say no news is good news. I think if if they were to say you know, there's a real injury here or there's a real issue, then, you know, we could start saying, okay, if he's compromised and then has to build himself back up or or whatever it is. But I think this is just a case of feeling something a little weird and they're going to have to give him 
whether it's a few days, whether it's a week, whatever it is, I think he's considered day to day generally. So that's good news. Um, and then the Joel thing last night was the much weirder situation. Like I think James, we kind of knew right away and he had played through the rest of the game. Whereas with Joel in Chicago, you know, he just didn't come out for the second half. And there were a lot of fans who were tweeting at me, tweeting at reporters, whatever, saying, oh, they're just resting him because they're up by 30 points. And, you know, like I'm sure and the lead certainly played a part in him not playing the rest of the game last night. I have never seen a team say we're up by enough that nobody or that somebody is not playing the entire second half strictly because they're up by a lot of points, right? right? That's always like a, they'll play a few minutes, whether it's just to, to pad the stats, to make sure the lead doesn't, you know, dwindle in the opening stages of the third quarter guys always get some time there. So the, the second you don't see Joel, not only not on the floor, but also not on the bench, you say, Okay, something's up here. And then for the first, let's say, 10, 11 minutes of the third quarter, no answer, no answer, no answer. And when the Sixers finally get around to start talking to people, the answer was not, hey, he's got this issue or, hey, he's definitely not hurt. He's resting. It was just that, here, I'll say the exact text. With the big lead, it's unlikely he returns. Nothing else to share. And mm. so the nothing else to share part is where I was like, okay, the eyebrow goes up and you're like, what's yeah. going on here? Because normally like Joel has something being worked on or he's got a knock that he picks up in the middle of the game. They will just say, look, Joel's getting treatment in the back, something up with his, his foot, his leg, his arm, his wrist, his thumb, his fingernail, whatever it is that it will just be said. And so they, kind of created this weird situation for themselves with how it was handled. Now, I always say in these situations, you can't rule out the fact that Joel might have been the source of some of the weirdness. He might have been, and I have not been told this one way or another, he might have been pushing to be able to stay available for the game and telling them to you know, send mixed messages depending on how things were going. Um, but so... Two minutes left in the game. Total garbage time. Furkan Korkmaz, the human victory cigar is in the game. Get another text that says he's dealing with uh, mild right calf tightness. And it just struck me as really funky that they couldn't admit that in the first place. From what we've been told, what I've been told anyway, it's another day-to-day sort of deal that they're going to have to manage it. I believe Joel told reporters in Chicago on Wednesday night that it's just one of those things that he's going to wake up on Friday. He'll see how he feels. And that's going to impact how he, whether he plays in the Golden State game and potentially right. the Phoenix game on Saturday. Obviously, back to back situation with where they're at right now physically is kind of tough. Um, but again, no alarms being sounded. And that was more of a just why are we being evasive and avoiding the subject and, and not just saying, Hey, Joe's getting something looked at in the back. We'll give you an update, you know, as soon as we can. It was just, so, I don't know why they did it that way, but it was a little silly. Right. So the situation was definitely a weird one. Uh, you know, as someone that's covered Eagles injuries from a reporter perspective, it would, you know, it would be like if Jalen missed an entire quarter and they told us nothing, right? I mean, there would be pandemonium and I completely understand why the reaction was that way. So 
now that that's what we know did happen, what's your read? Let's focus on Joel first and then get into Harden. What's your read on what's going on, Joel? What's your uh, concern level? I mean, Doc, after the game, said they're not that concerned. Uh, you know, there was the clip of Joel grabbing his calf a little bit while while player was shooting a free throw. What's your read on what's going on and your level of concern? I mean, it's hard to get a read on it from afar right now, and especially because it's a soft tissue thing. It, it's when they say tightness rather than a strain or something like it's mm. obviously better that it's just tightness. That could be something as simple as he's not hydrated enough and he's cramping a little bit and they just, you know, out of an abundance of caution say, Hey, we're not going to push him too hard. Uh, I think it's probably because it's Joel and because he has the history that he does in terms of staying on the floor. I think people are probably a little too panicky right now. That being said, it's obviously not what you want with, you know, a few weeks left in the year. It, yeah. it has looked like they're going to get to the, the end of the season with everybody sort of intact. Like there's been no big injury scares. I mean, they're still dealing with Jalen McDaniels, who's had a funky hip thing. But by and large, like these guys are mostly healthy and everyone has been available. And that's been honestly one of the biggest thing, biggest reasons that they've been on this great run that they're on is that they've just been able to play game after game after game with their full lineup and with all their stars on the floor. And they've been able to develop this chemistry mm-hmm. with everybody out there. Now, I think they've certainly proven they can win without their stars this year in the times they've had to do it. But because they have this tough schedule and they're on the road and the games are so condensed, I mean, Joel missing, even if Joel were to miss a single game or two games, that could be the difference between, you know, maybe they have an outside shot at the one seed, which I still sort of think is impossible. And they're just locked into three. And then that sets them up for just a, a disaster type run through the playoffs where they got to beat Miami with Jimmy Butler playing awesome. Boston with, you know, all their problems against right. them. And Milwaukee with the latter two series being on the road. So I'm not so much worried about the actual injury that Joel is dealing with as I am that this could basically lock them into the hardest possible road to get to the finals. So one last kind of conspiracy theorist question. Maybe it's the, you know, skeptic in me. Maybe it's the wanting Joel to be healthy because it really does feel like he was about to win the MVP. Your, your concern is more if he misses a game or two, this costs them seeding as opposed to this is something where, the first round of playoffs, we're talking about him still dealing with it, or this is, and I know we don't know yet and it's early, but your initial read is not panic as much as it's just, man, he might miss a game or two and that has implications for seeding. Yeah. And I, I do think it's, you know, the MVP thing's funny or interesting because, you know, how much does he want to push himself to get back yeah. to chase that award? Like we've talked a lot about, Joel can clearly see it. He's the betting favorite. They're on, you know, they're in the best form of anybody in the league. It's them in Milwaukee, basically. And, you know, if he's pushing himself to try to get that award and push for seeding, all that, maybe he does overdo it. And, you know, then we're dealing with an actual injury rather than, hey, his calf's a little tight and we're just being careful. So I do think it's one of those that they have to be in his ear and reminding him. And look, I think Joel cares about the right things. I obviously think that competing for a championship is number one on the list and that 
something like MVP is not yeah. that high. It's it's slightly it's lower, even if it is high. Appropriate level of high of yeah. Kid, but think, yeah. but look, he's a competitor. It's a natural thing that he would say. You know, I still want to continue to go through this. I want to push through what he probably believes is a minor issue. So it's just something that they're going to have to be really careful with. And I hope How that. Would... Uh... Sorry, good. No, 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 you're good. Well, so one thing that I think has been an interesting thing to watch from afar with Joel is, you know, not saying he outright picks when he plays and when he doesn't, but I do get the sense that sometimes, you know, the players have a lot of say in that, right? Like I think in, in the NFL, from my perspective, it's much more of a collaborative decision in, in that regard. How would you handle this if you were running the Sixers? Like, cause Joel is going to want to play, I would think. Um, but because of the reasons you just stated, like, this is, we talked about in the last pod. I think you can see when you watch Joel play, he can sense that this is a moment and that he's here and that it's 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 arrived. Like the moment he's been waiting for, the MVP, potential one seed, a real shot at the title, all those things are right in front of him. How hard is it going to be to keep him off the court? And how would you handle it? Like, would you just say, you know what? If we're the three seed, we're the three seed and it is what it is. We have to make sure he's 100%. Or do you think they're going to try to push this thing a little bit in terms of getting him on the court, big games coming up, implications for the playoffs, but also let's be real, like the MVP implications. How do you think they handle it and how would you handle it? So if you're asking me, I would say I went from thinking, you see how he feels Saturday in terms of this back-to-back situation to I think now there should be a 0.0% chance he plays in Phoenix on Saturday. Like I just, I think that's, that's a think that's, that's what you would do, right? Like that's what I would do. Like, okay, I, yeah. I, I think there's just, you know, given that he's dealing with a, a soft tissue thing, that's a situation where you just say, don't chance it. Like if, if he's good to play Friday, great. And, and, you know, he goes and they play against golden state, regardless of the result and almost regardless of how he feels. I mean, I wouldn't go quite that far because if he right. still feels great and it was a temporary thing, fine, play him on Saturday. But I'd be close to a 0% chance on playing him Saturday. Just say we don't need to play him in a back-to-back, especially because it's another three-game and four-night scenario where they play right. Denver on Monday. It's not like you know they have an abundance uh, of rest between those days. So that's just getting him that extra day between the Warriors game Friday and the Nuggets game Monday. I think that is probably along the lines of what I do, you know, looking at the schedule and saying, how do we buy him an extra day of rest here and there? Cause there just aren't many rest days left for them. It's a lot right. of every other day type scenarios for the Sixers, how I think they'll handle it. I'm honestly not sure because Joel is a loud voice in that room when it comes to how they manage his body. I mean, they've come down and made some decisions in the past that he hasn't agreed with. But obviously, as he's grown in stature, as he's become essentially the most important person and voice in that organization, I think it becomes harder for them to outright overrule him when it comes to this stuff. So, yeah, it's going to be a collaborative decision between Joel and the medical department to say, look, this is how I feel. I'm Joel Embiid. This is what the medical staff says that I should do based on how I feel. And he's got to sign off on it end of the day because you know, he knows his body and what he's feeling better than anybody. If there's nothing serious that's coming up on, you know, scans and things like that, then I think he's probably going to have a decent amount of leverage to say, 
I'm playing as many games as I want. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. So we got a good five-star review recently. Uh, and I bring this up to say that the review, which was very kind, said that as long as Joel Embiid is on the Sixers, and I think they mean pass that as well, you should cover the team because they, they said you have a great read on Joel since he's been here, since you've covered him. And I agree from doing the pod with you, you have a great read on Joel. My question for you is, and I, you know, there's a nice little compliment for you, right? In the, yeah, uh, thank you very yeah. much to that. No problem. Well, you nice tweeted stuff. I was a basketball expert on the pod. So I figured it was at least I could <laughs> get back. But my question for you would be, do you, do you trust Joel to make this decision? Like, you know, so much is made of Joel's maturity, where he's at, what he values, what he doesn't, all those things. If you're Daryl Morey, do you trust Joel? Like, do you think Joel is going to be able to say to himself, you know what? I should, maybe I just shouldn't play these three games, get some rest before the playoffs. My calf feels tight. I'm going to miss the Jokic game. But like, where do you think your trust level is in Joel making the correct decision? Or do you think he'll try to push it? So I trust him pretty much across the board. And I would say like, even if he puts himself in a scenario where he actually gets hurt down the stretch here, I don't think that will have been because he made the quote unquote wrong decision. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I think you put any player in this scenario where his team is obviously in this really high leverage spot in terms of seeding coming down the stretch and in a spot where frankly, they need him because one yeah, is the most important player MVP baseline. Player. Yeah, he's MVP of the league. Yeah. But number two, because, you know, James Harden is not at a hundred percent right now and they're dealing with that. And so he looks at that and says, his number one obligation is to the rest of the group to be as available as he can. So like, it's easy for us to sit here and say, Oh, well just 
who cares? Like, forget about it. Think about the playoffs and, and all that. As the leader of the team, like we talked, you brought up his maturity and his leadership. Part of that is saying, look, this is not a serious injury or being able to identify the difference between I'm sore and I've got to, you know, gut through some late season stuff and I'm actually hurt, like knowing the difference between those two things. And so if he says this is just a regular season bump and bruise thing, I would argue it's almost his responsibility to play through that because, you know, again, I don't want to overstate the importance of the seeding because I, I do still think the Sixers could win in round two against Boston if they don't have home court. It just becomes a lot tougher. And I think he knows that. And I think, yeah. you know, all this is weighing on him as they come down the stretch. So I trust him to know his body better than anybody else. And, and that's really the number one thing here because he's the guy that has, you know, missed all multiple seasons and games in the playoffs and all kinds of other things. He knows as well as anybody that the playoffs and his availability there are the most important thing. So if he's on the floor, that indicates to me that he feels safe and he feels comfortable with gutting through whatever he's dealing with. You know, last night when it was happening, I think about the quote from Joel a lot where he said after the Boston game, you know, the shot was short by a second or whatever. And he goes, story of my life. And I really had talked myself into this last two weeks, week or whatever, saying, you know, he's going to win MVP. This is his moment. And if you're Joel, and I don't know how bad the cap is. It could be he's sitting there being like, I'm fine. It's no big deal. But man, it would just super suck if this is something that, you know, if he doesn't play the next three games and he misses the Jokic thing or, you know, they fall to three. And I mean, Giannis had a big game last night. They get like 30 something points and, you know, the first like 25 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever. It just, it was a, a, a kind of crash course reminder of how close this race is and how quickly things can change because he was playing, we did a whole pod on it. He was playing at an unbelievable level and to have something like this happen, like, it does just, you know, from a fan perspective, it does suck to see the the panic of last night and now the somewhat uncertainty. The good news is it sounds like you don't think it's serious, but the somewhat uncertainty moving forward when everything was rolling so well. Well, and I brought this up recently. I'll say it again since you brought up Giannis. I mean, the Bucks have the best record in the league. They are yeah. ahead of both the Sixers and the Celtics by three in the loss column. And so... Let's just say for the sake of argument, Joel misses a game or two here. Maybe they lose one of the Denver or Milwaukee games. And you end up at the end of the regular season and people don't really want to give it to Jokic again. And Joel has missed time and doesn't have these big performances down the stretch. It might just be that the guy who's the best player on the best team in the league in the regular season wins the award. And like, Again, like we can get into, or we don't need to get into Joel versus Giannis and right. their respective cases, but like, I don't think it's going to be some crime against basketball. If Giannis is the MVP of the league. Like, he's arguably the best player in the league, depending on uh, how you fall on that argument. Amazing two way player, consistently one of the best performers in the league, held that team together with, you know, Chris Middleton is still not really himself and missed a lot of this season. So, it could just be that Giannis wins regardless, let alone if Joel misses any time. But I yeah. do think we'll probably end up looking at all this and, and thinking everyone was a was kind of hysterical when they didn't need to be. Like, I, I think Joel's probably going to pull out of this just fine. But uh, 
Yeah. Time well, will tell. I mean, I just think like the messaging too, and I'm not going to crush the Sixers too much. I think, I think sometimes from being close to, to a team, like you are with the Sixers, like we, and look, it's their job. They're professionals. We expect like information instantly, but these are also people like, how's Joel feel? What does that mean? What does a doctor think? How, cause to your point, it was hysteria last night. Every word they put out was going to be dissected to the, like the oomph degree. Right. So I do wish that they would have put it out sooner. Who knows what was going on in the back that they, that they waited. I, I'm just someone that tends to give people the benefit of the doubt that they weren't like hiding it or lying. I think they probably tried their best, but it definitely created hysteria for sure. Now, the next thing I wanted to talk to you about, and I thought it was interesting that when we started the injuries, you started with Harden. Um, like, are you more concerned about that one? Because the Embiid thing, he's the, the more important player is the MVP. I think his injury seems far less concerning overall as an actual injury than Harden's. So you talked about seeing Harden in the locker room and you notice he's moving a little gingerly. He didn't play last night. For what it's worth, he played awful against the Bulls. Like that's going to get buried here, but he was the reason they lost that game. And for what it's worth, a crucial loss. Like that was a loss where if they win that game, we're still talking about the one seed because they went 2-0. and That game was right there to be had. He has a terrible turnover at the end. He seemed disinterested in playing. Like I got all types of Harden takes from that game. But from an injury perspective, what's your, le- what's your level of concern with Harden? Well, so that's sort of why it's more concerning is that Bulls game, right? Where Joel was grabbing at his calf on Wednesday night and, you know, that that made for the classic Joel drama theater during the game and all that. But he still played well when he was on the floor. Like they dominated that game and we didn't really see any slippage while he was on the floor. Now, a lot of that was he didn't really have to attack much because the Bulls sent double and triple teams and he did mm-hmm. his best Nikola Jokic impression just you know passing the ball all around the floor hitting cutters and yeah. yeah but Ben Simmons would never get that I know I know I'm kidding. but he had seven first half assists to your point he played really and well. honestly if if we were to go and look at like hockey assists too you probably add like another five or six yeah. in there like that was a dominant playmaking performance from him so but that was not what happened with James right he didn't get pick up a knock or get injured or however you want to frame it and then continue to play well. He was, and I, I don't say this lightly, he was by far the worst player on the floor yeah. on Monday night. So the point that you could say that he actively sabotaged their chances to win and that if they had played almost anybody else except for Harden, they win that game. Now, if they do that, I don't know if the Sixers are more – complacent on Wednesday night and they lose that game because I continue to think that they were going to back to back. Yeah. The, the splits are a borderline automatic this year. Um, but because James looked so disinterested in trying to attack and looked like such a different version of himself. And because we've seen in recent memory, what a compromised version of Harden looks like, and it's not very good. Yeah. That's why that one is more concerning for me. Like he's older. He's not, um, he doesn't have like with Joel, even if Joel is hurt and he's not moving well, like obviously he's not as good as he would be, but because he's huge and his defense is by the rim, he can still impact the game on both ends just by being out there and being at like 60%. Well, you saw it against Miami last year. I mean, he comes back, he's whatever percentage with the mask, and they win both in Philly. So, yeah, I, I agree with that. 
Yeah. And so I just, I think if you don't have James, he doesn't have to be like full go hundred percent because none of these guys are hundred percent at the end of the year. They're all dealing with, you know, the wear and tear that you pick up over 82 games plus the playoffs. But if he's like genuinely compromised and, and this is anything that flares up coming down the stretch or, or in the playoffs, that fundamentally changes who he is. Like he then becomes so much more reliant on either he hits step back threes or they're in big trouble. And yeah. he shot well all year, but part of that is because he's had other things to set up that jumper. Like teams have had to respect him as a driver and that pick and roll game with Joel has been a, a, a key portion of their success this year. So I, I think that I'm more concerned with him mostly because I just, I don't think he can do as much if he's physically compromised. Like he just on defense too. Like I know nobody cares about James Harden's defense except for like me and other reporters. Right. I'm gonna say but I like said. if you're asking what he needs to do just to be part of a, a decent Sixers defense in the playoffs. He has to be able to move. Like he can't just stand there in the mud and guys cut by him, whatever. Like he has to at least be an active defender. He doesn't have to be fucking Kawhi Leonard or whoever out there mm-hmm. flying around the floor and getting steals, but he's got to be able to be engaged and, you know, head up and feeling good. And part of that, that link of the chain. So, well, especially if Maxie's back in the starting lineup too. Yeah. Well, I will say though, so that's probably a good segue. It was interesting, you know, they Harden's out of the lineup on Wednesday and Maxie, Melton, Tucker, Harris are the four next to Embiid in the starting lineup. And their defense was awesome yeah. to start that game. And, you know, you could say that P.J. Tucker being back is part of it. The Anthony Melton over Harden is obviously a defensive upgrade in a lot of ways. But the level of connectivity and the crispness of their rotations and all that, like, that stuff was on point. And I think you can see, okay, you take Harden out of there. One guy who like all due respect, just not a good defender <laughs> in terms of the, the off ball awareness stuff that all of a sudden they look like the sort of playoff defense that you want to see. Like, I know that I've stuck up for Harden in some ways on defense. Like at least he's able to, you know, defend in the post and he's not getting blown through because he's big and strong and all that. But I think there are far fewer breakdowns when he's off of the floor. And even mm-hmm. Maxi, like Maxi to start that game is picking guys up full court. It's something that he's done more recently. And he got a steal on the first possession of the game for Chicago, like 94 feet from the basket. And he's able to slow down their offense stop them from getting into sets until, you know, there's 14 seconds on the shot clock. And if he can do that consistently, like that, that at the very least, I know he's going to get picked on, on switches and all sorts of other things, but if he can add value in that way, that at least mitigates some of his weaknesses as a defender. And so I, I think there's at least, you can see the vision for Tyrese sort of helping on defense in in some ways. Yeah. And I will say with Tyrese too, him playing better does a little bit take off the pressure from Harden as a scorer and as a perimeter threat because, and look, De'Anthony Melton has been playing way better. He's He's been good the last two games, so that's encouraging. But I think the concern with Harden, if he's dealing with a foot injury, because we talk about this so much with his burst, right, his ability to get to the basket. 
if his foot's injuring is, is hurting him, you would, that would be an obvious concern. If Maxi's playing the way he's playing and it maybe isn't fair to put all the pressure on Maxi in these playoffs quite yet, although he's not in his first year anymore. If Maxi is able to do what he's doing, at least Harden, if he's not hundred percent can step back a little bit more into the, the distributor, the playmaker impacts the pick and roll, as you said, which is a big part of it. But the other thing with Harden that I, I was concerned about in that game was, and you know, my initial reaction when he struggled was, oh, he's not going to play in the next game and, and he's going to say he was hurt. Like he was that bad. I was like, he's definitely. So my alarm isn't going off too much on this, but man, the, the frustrating part of watching Harden is he just looks so checked out when he's not playing well, like injury aside. And maybe that was part of it in overtime. There was four or five possessions in a row where Maxie's shooting the ball and Harden doesn't even look interested in trying to shoot. I didn't, I forgot he was even out there. So when we talk about Joel and Harden, I think Joel has been better with this, but I think they're two of the, you know, whatever many players in the league that you worry about their mental going into the game. And so the Harden injury for thing would be, would be a worry for me where maybe this guy is just going to be like, man, my foot's really bothering me. And then it just kind of spirals from there. So to that point, I think that'd be one reason. Well, it's one reason I think that people have not, all the way bought in if yeah. they're still on the fence about this team is because of that. I think that that's probably the case with James and Joel. Like there is a little bit of that adversity hits and, and people don't know how they're going to react. Like it's mm -hmm. the, the woe is me sky is falling, whatever, well, rather also, than it's also just the look on his face, like watching the yeah. game. He just, again, people have bad games. People get hurt there. That is nobody's fault. Right. But it's just it's it's another level of frustration when you're watching, and it just seems. And I know he cares, but it just looks like he's checked out of the game. That's the frustrating part. Well, and so the interesting thing is that I would argue that Harden is under more pressure than Joel in some ways, not because he's the best player or any of that stuff, but because he's much closer to the end of the road as you know one of the guys in the league yeah. and that he has this long history of certainly he went on, he's been on deep playoff runs and been on some great teams, been the leader on some great teams, but just has never gotten it done. And he's only going to have so many more opportunities to be, you know, one of the top two guys on a contender. And I think because Sixers fans have not really had to live it other than last season when, I think people kind of just abandoned hope as soon as uh, Joel got hurt anyway. Yeah. So maybe that didn't sting as much. It felt like, uh, here they are again, same old Sixers, that I think a lot of the attention is probably on, well, Doc is, is not going to get it done, or Joel hasn't gotten it done, and he needs to prove it. Where I think nationally, like, and if you're just talking about other reporters or rival fan bases or whatever it is, they're just as skeptical, if not more skeptical, of what Harden does yeah. in the playoffs. Like I, I, I think there is a degree to which Joel is matchup proof, or at least like if Joel has a disaster offensive series, there is still a way for him to be one of the most impactful guys in the series, right? We've seen it before. That Toronto series, they played in 2019. They lose in game seven. Joel was not good on offense, right? Like he was sick and dealing with stuff and struggled to beat Mark Gasol, all that. They were 150 times better with him on the floor 
because he was the key to holding up defensively against yeah. that team. And, and so there's always that backbone. You can say, shots not falling. I can't do this. I can't do that. We've seen that in the regular season and the playoffs that Joel can find a way to help the team. Yeah. If James is not there on offense and, and struggles to shoot, can't get by guys, whatever it is, he doesn't have much to fall back on. Like, yes, yes, he's a playmaker. And yes, he can, you know, get guys shots and create for Joel and create for their shooters and what have you. But if he is bad in a way that teams start to just, you know, single cover him and feel comfortable in single coverage, well, then he's got to go out there and beat guys. And if he can't do that for whatever reason, then your offense changes a lot and shots get tougher for everybody else. And we know what the defensive problems are. So, yeah, he's the one that if I were to say they need to be really cautious with one of these guys, he's the guy that I think they have to be very careful with. Now, again, I want to reiterate because I said this probably 20 minutes ago now. No alarm bells have been sounded on him to me. This is I was told that it's a precautionary thing and they want to make sure he's right. But certainly given the uh, evasiveness with Joel yesterday, mm-hmm. let's just all keep an eye on how this all plays out. I'll also say that sometimes, like in my experience, when when a team is like nothing to worry about, all good. That's when I'm like, oh, wow, this is this is not ideal. So, so we'll find out, but we did this with Joel. So I want to do it with Harden before we move uh, onto a little bit of a different topic. The, the upcoming schedule, Friday, Saturday, Monday, all on the road. Um, what do you think they do with Harden and what would you do? So I, I think with Joel, I think there's at least some wiggle room. I think there's not a chance in hell he plays both games this weekend. I, I think that that's play a, either of them. I think he might play Friday, and Doc said that at his press conference last night that he thinks James should be good to go for Friday. But I think it's a, a very obvious they're not going to play on both games. And maybe, like, if he doesn't play Friday, for example, then maybe he'll be available for Saturday against the Suns. Right. And you could almost split it up. Like, let's say Joel is available Friday. You just say one guy plays one game, one guy plays the other. And that gives you at least a fighting chance in both those games, assuming they're actually ready to go and they're not being forced out there. I tend to think that'll that would be satisfactory for me, but I think it's it's less about you know these individual games and more how do you handle these next three weeks. So I, I think it's all about being in constant communication with these guys. I think both of them are they're pros and they're vets. So they're going to get all the necessary treatment they need to, to keep themselves uh, as fresh as they possibly can. So that I, th- I think it shouldn't be complicated, but we've seen the Sixers turn uh, uncomplicated things into yeah. messes. So you never know. So another five-star review we got. So shout out to everyone that's been leaving them. And if you haven't yet, we would very much appreciate a five-star review. Um, talked about how I need to like, be less emotional and I'm just like always freaking out or always super excited. <laughs> and that's probably something, frankly, Kristen, my wife would say to me too. I'm, I'm an emotional guy, but I want to ask you, um, you know, how have these last two games kind of changed your perception or outlook on where we were before? Because for me, when they lost that bulls game, I'm like, well, there goes the number one seed. And then Joel and Harden get hurt. And I'm like, ah, oh, that's really bad. Now I'm still where, you know, this has been a successful year. Like Embiid's awesome. I think they have a good chance to go to the finals. I'm still there. But I'm curious where you're at in terms of just the, 
how have these last two games maybe changed your perception of where you think the team is and, and your outlook on them? Well, speaking of the wives, I think my wife would probably say the exact opposite where I am, (laughs) I am robotic sometimes to a fault. Like I don't get stressed (laughs) and I don't get that, uh, wound up about almost anything. So that's kind of what Kristen's like. So it's probably like, you're better off like as a pair as was in that way. Whereas, you know, two of me in the same house would not be good. It would just be an emotional wreck. Two of me would not be good either. You don't worry about (laughs) anything. And then it's like, Oh my God, somebody just died and nobody cares. Yeah. So, I was just yeah, chilling. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. I just lost track of the question. No, just like, where, where are you? Oh, at? where am I at after the last two games? Yeah. Be emotional. Um, I sound like your wife. Well, where are you at with your emotions with this team? Yeah. I don't, I, nothing has really changed for me. It's more of a wait and see type deal. Like, again, if one of these guys is actually hurt and they're hiding uh, a serious injury, or I shouldn't say serious injury because that's like a, you know, uh, right. muscle tear or whatever it, ligament or whatever. So if it's a moderate injury rather than a mild thing, then we can move into, okay, they're in big trouble. But because I've been the guy saying to you for weeks or months or whatever it is, depending on which seed we're talking about, I've held no illusion that they're going to pass Milwaukee for the number one seed. And honestly, like from where they sit today, even though they lost, if they beat Boston in the head to head, they're probably going to take the number two seed. Like I have enough confidence in them. I actually, I did a whole article yesterday where I went through all their respective schedules and I gamed it out. And I said, this is the record I think is kind of the baseline for all these teams. I said, I think, and so right now we'll see what their records are right now. Milwaukee is 52 and 20. They have mm-hmm. 10 games left. The Celtics are 50 and 23. They have nine games left. The Sixers are 49 and 23. They have 10 games left. So in the loss column, the Sixers and Celtics are even. The Bucs have that three-game edge. Right. I think the Bucs, based on their closing schedule, are probably going to get to 58 wins. So the Sixers would have to go eight and one the rest of the way to match them. And that eight and one would have to come or no, not eight and one, nine and one. They have to yeah. go nine and nine one. Yeah. Sorry. My math on the fly here. Not good. Right. So I'm, I'm a writer and not a, uh, an engineer or something. <laughs> uh, so they'd have to go nine and one to equal the 58 win total. And one of those wins would have to come against Milwaukee to get the tiebreaker there. That's a really, really difficult ask. Well, like, especially if, with the injuries. I mean, look, like, yeah. let's be real. These next three games, even if fully healthy, it would be really, really hard to go 3-0 and in those games, right? Warriors at home, back-to-back with the Suns, at the Nuggets, which is just going to be an emotionally charged game for everybody. So, yeah, I mean, they're look, let's be real. They're not going to go 9-1. and But, I mean, the chances are, are minuscule, yeah. And and here's what I would say. It's almost to a point looking at the schedules that the Sixers and the Sixers fan base are probably going to have to root for Milwaukee a few times here down the stretch. Like I think the game against Boston, it depends on what your priorities are, right? Milwaukee and Boston play right before the Bucs play the Sixers. And if you're someone who believes the Sixers can get the number one seed, you pull for Boston. I almost think you'd be better off if Milwaukee becomes the undisputed number one. And then you leave it to, okay, Milwaukee's the one that's just 
they're ahead of the pack. Is what it is, yeah. It is what it is. And then you get into a situation where if you're the Sixers, number one, you could say, all right, we can rest guys. We don't need to gun for this. We'll take our chances in whatever series. Or you then, you're only focused on the number two seed. And Boston then probably gets in the mindset of, we don't care about seeding with the Sixers. We might, you know, rest guys more down the stretch. Mm-hmm. And they might even concede that seed to you. And that might, you almost might be better off there. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that's how it's going to play out in real time. And I think, you know, if you are trying to make a case that the Sixers are going to maybe sneak into this number one seed discussion, Milwaukee has a couple of back to backs coming up. One of them is Utah, Denver. And that's not a bad travel back to back, but playing in Denver on the road and a back to back at high altitude is really tough. And that's what Denver's been a great home team all year. And then the Boston game that they play is also the second half of a back-to-back. So the two best teams that they have left to play, other than the Sixers, are both back-to-backs and the second half of them. They can lose both of those. So they could theoretically lose those two. And then if the Sixers beat them, that's three losses right there. Now, I'm not saying pencil them in. I think Milwaukee has been good enough and consistent enough that they deserve the respect to say, I'll take my chances with them against most teams in most situations, but that's your window. That's where it becomes available. I just think you're probably better off just saying who cares about number one. Like I don't, if I'm the Sixers, I don't really fear going to Milwaukee and winning historically. They've been able to win there and we saw them drop 48 points in the fourth quarter on the road on national TV on a Saturday night game. I would not have the same fear if I'm Philly going into Milwaukee as I would a game seven in Boston on the road. I a hundred percent agree. Not to mention like we focus so much on game seven, but if they have to open in Boston back to back, you know, games one and two, there's a decent chance they lose both of those. And as good as they're playing, I think they could beat any team in the league in a seven game series. So I'm not going to say they have no chance. I've come off a little bit from the, they only have a 10% chance to beat Boston, but there's no question in my mind. If you had to say, you can pick home court advantage against only one of them. I'm absolutely taking it versus Boston over Milwaukee. Going to Milwaukee isn't that you know scary, I don't think. You can go in and win those games. Boston, where you have to play one, two, five, and seven there, man, that would that would be really, really hard. I, I would probably not pick them to win that series at this point. So on that point, I tell people this all the time. I mean, I've covered every playoff series Joel Embiid has played in and been in mm-hmm. like all these hostile road environments. Some of them not so hostile, <clears throat> Miami. Um, <laughs> um, by far the loudest arena I have ever been in, I believe it was game two, 2018 in Boston. Yeah. Boston had won game one and the Sixers came out in game two. They got out to a big lead. And keep in mind, this is the first half of a playoff game. Boston goes on this crazy run at the end of the first half. I think they cut it to single digits before halftime and it got really close mm-hmm. and it went from you could hear a pin drop with the Sixers up 20 to so loud that Rich Hoffman is sitting this far from me like we're just right next to each yeah. other at the media table and I'm trying to say something to him and not only could I not hear him talking I could not hear the words coming out of my wow. mouth to him despite the fact I was the one saying it like mm-hmm. ears are ringing levels of loud 
And I do think with Boston, it is one of the few places, and I would put the Sixers up there too, but yeah. it is one of the few places where they have true home court advantage, where that place is so historically used to having a good basketball team that they are also more in tune with this is a moment. Like I, this something is happening here. This is a run. This yeah. is an important run in the game. It might be in the second quarter, the third quarter, the fr- whatever it is. And they they match that moment when you're there. Like it is a very special basketball crowd. And I would not want to have to play or win a meaningful game there if you don't have to. Yeah, and you know I'm I'm happy you brought up you put the Sixers in there because I will say in the Sixers games I've covered. And I probably notice it more in the games I've covered than the ones I've been to. That place also gets insane. Like Eagles games, they're loud. It's a good home for, court, court advantage or field advantage. I don't think it's anything like Sixers game. So if it's Sixers Boston, I think by game seven, you might have trouble uh, doing a pod because your ears are just going to be like just seven games of just insane loudness uh, around them. But so moving forward, let's talk about this three game stretch. What to you is a successful three game stretch for this team? Like, Considering the injuries, considering who might not play, who will play, three tough opponents, the uh, the uh, Denver game and all those MVP implications. Like, what would you consider a good three game stretch? Two and one. Like, I, and I'm one. not ex- yeah. I'm not expecting them to win all three. And, and I've said this to you before. I, I think that the Golden State game should be a win. They are. I know Golden State's home record is really good. The Sixers are flat out better than them, and so if yep. they have their guys available. They should beat the Warriors, no questions asked. Um, the Phoenix game, I am willing to give them a bit of leeway and say schedule loss, whatever it is, back-to-back, guys are hurt, yep. resting, all that. I still think it's winnable. Like I, I think this team has proven, even if they have to play shorthanded, that that's a, this team is good enough that they can find ways to rally and win even when they don't have it. Like, Kevin Durant's not going to play. Kevin Durant's still out. So this is Devin Booker, Chris Paul, and DeAndre Ayton is probably going to have a much better game if Joel doesn't play. But that's a group of guys that with, you know, kind of crappy role players because they traded a lot of their good depth, the Sixers can beat them. And then Denver, again, they'll, they'll at least have a day of rest. They'll be able to get guys right if they play joel and or james on friday and then decide they're just punting the phoenix game they should get at least two days of rest for one if not both of their stars heading into the denver game mm-hmm. and again tough environment very good team mvp caliber player on the other team but i i have full belief they can go in there and beat them because they've proven they're one of the best road teams in the league one of the best teams in the league so whether that plays out or not i'm not sure but i, I think two and one is is realistic to ask for. We'll see how it plays out. So there's obviously people on this topic that are smarter than me about it, but I'd be curious to know the science behind uh, muscle tightness and playing at high altitude. Like it doesn't feel like that would be an advantageous environment to go into if you're having tightness in your calf and you're dealing with an Achilles injury. I would think that that would be a game. And I don't think Joel will sit it out. I think it's important and it should be. Again, I'm fine with him pushing to win MVP. I am. I think it's important. I think it would be an awesome moment. But I do think Denver is maybe a game where you go, all right, high altitude, muscle injuries, just sit both these guys out and uh, get ready to come back home. Well, maybe like if they win the first two, which I don't think is likely, but if they win those first two, yeah, then maybe you say, we're, we're, I don't care 
how they feel like we're giving them the night off. And I do wonder how that plays for the MVP stuff, right? On the one hand, you could just say Joel already kicked Jokic's ass. Yeah, he's passed. He he's passed all that. But there will be a, a bunch of verbal pushback, like, oh, he's ducking Jokic. He didn't want to play him on the road. Blah, blah. Like, yeah. there would definitely be some of that. So, um, and of course, the games played thing will will rear its head once it again. Yeah. So I, I'm very interested in, I guess we'll see if it actually happens, but it would be fascinating to see how that'd be received if that's yes. how it goes down. And look, especially by Joel, right? So that'll be fascinating. We're going to do multiple pods or at least one pod, I think before then for sure, coming off the Friday and Saturday night games. And then we'll obviously preview that game. But before we wrap this up, we talked about Joel and Harden at length, clearly the biggest topics. But I'm curious, other players that you've noticed these last two games, you talked about Maxi. obviously Melton's been good. Anything else you picked up? I don't know if I'm like Kyle's notebook here on, on the last two games. Yeah. I mean, Melton's been awesome. I, I think yeah. he was in a kind of a weird place for a while there. I think a lot of people thought about how the lineup changes impacted Maxi, and less about how Yank and Melton's roll around messed with him a little bit. But mm -hmm. I think you've seen him settle into a rhythm here. He's kind of... In, of the mindset that regardless of when he's on the floor and where that he's uh, he's going to find a way to impact the game, him hitting shots honestly helps. Like I know it's like the most simple analysis yeah. you could possibly make, but when he makes threes, that just gives them such a, a different profile when he's on the floor. So that's been a big difference. Paul Reed played some good minutes in Chicago. I, I think you can see the vision for, uh, a switch heavy defensive lineup in the playoffs with him as the five. I think he's been more disciplined. I think he had a tough, a tough overtime when he had to come in for Joel on, on Monday night, but it is kind of a tough ask for someone to sit most of the fourth quarter, all the first overtime yeah. and then come in in the second overtime and Hey, you got DeMar DeRozan on switches, <laughs> buddy. Good luck. Yeah. But he's actually been pretty good in those situations. He had a, a possession or two or three last night where he's defending DeMar on an Island and he stayed down against the pump fake and forced them to pass out of it. That's a, a great sign from him. And, and one last one that I brought his name up, I think a couple of times recently, but I'll, I'll do it again here. I continue to be sort of amazed that Daniel house jr. Is looking competent after not yeah. playing for months and months. And, you know, doc has been, leaning on him in a lot of spots recently. Some of that is because uh, Jalen McDaniels has been out of the lineup and heard and they've needed to play another wing athlete. But again, I, I don't want to overstate it, but I think it's important that they've kept him alive, so to speak, and that Doc can say, hey, look, Niang, not shooting well. We can play a, a better yeah. defensive option there. And he shot okay. He's been a decent transition player. He is chaotic as all hell when you give him the ball. Like he tries to kill everybody, including himself, when he goes up for a dunk. So that's fun. Um, so that's been – it's a positive development. I think he looks closer to the guy that I think they thought they were getting when they signed him in the offseason. And, you know, he's going to pick up that player option and come back next year. So even if we're looking as far as next season and not necessarily this playoff run and this stretch – it at least gives you a little bit of hope that, okay, there's a guy there that, you know, in the yeah. right lineups and in the right role, I think can probably help this team.
and it's not just dead money or an untradeable contract. I know it doesn't make a ton of money, but it does. You know, if this season doesn't go well, we'll be talking about trades and stuff. And the better he plays, the more attractive piece that is to at least throw in, or at least he comes back and he plays well. So, all right. So they play Friday and Saturday night, uh, and then obviously Denver on Monday. We will be back before the the Denver game. I don't want to speak for Kyle, but I would think we'll find a way to uh, to record before that Sunday Denver. morning. We'll, yeah, uh, we'll get like it. That. So we will be back. Um, like I said, during the pod, I brought him up. Thank you to everybody that's been leaving five-star reviews. Makes my day when I open the app and I see a new one. Um, and to everybody that's been listening, uh, it's been exciting. I think, you know, today was not, you know, hopefully we would have been doing a 2-0 and o pod and everyone's healthy as opposed to a 1-1 one and one and there's injuries. But maybe that just means good things are coming. So thank you to everybody that's been listening. Uh, we'll be back and uh, talk to you guys next time. Kyle, I'll uh, see you on the next pod. See you guys soon.